Throughout the year, there are these peak moments, those kind of moments you circle on the calendar and you look ahead to with great anticipation and excitement. See, I don't know if you have those kinds of things in your life or even what those moments are for you, but I know for me, the ones that I circle on the calendar are those moments when we go camping as a family every summer or the times when my wife and I, we get to celebrate the birthdays of our two boys or our, our wedding anniversary every year and remind ourselves of this love and this relationship that we've entered into. See, those are some of the circle on the calendar days for me. And of course, we also circle the big celebrations like Thanksgiving or Christmas and of course, Easter. I mean, for me, there's just something about Easter that sets it apart from anything else on the calendar year. There's just something about the church coming together around the world on a day to celebrate the cross and the empty tomb. There's just something about remembering what Jesus did on a weekend in history that changed history forever. I mean, what a weekend it was. On Friday, there was a death on a cross. On Saturday, there was silence as Jesus laid dead in an empty tomb. But on Sunday, there was a resurrection. Jesus came back to life. He left the tomb behind and he made a way for anyone who wants it to have a life with God both now and forever. I mean, what a weekend it was. What a great God we have in Jesus. And, and that's why we're here today. That's why you're here. That's why you got up early, put on your best sweatpants, grabbed your favorite cup of coffee, turned on your computer and hit play for this video because you're here and you're hoping that what happened outside a city called Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago can make a difference in your life, not just someday, but today. And not just in the small parts of our life, but the big and the important parts of our life, like our identity, our sense of worth, the relationships we have with our spouse or our kids or our grandkids, like the lack of purpose you might be feeling or direction that you have, that feeling you have of being lost or without hope that things are ever going to get better in your current situation, those kind of parts of your life, the parts that are on life support or feel like they've been buried under the weight of shame or the bad choices you've made or the bad choices someone else made that have landed hard on you, the trauma you've experienced, the broken dreams, the unanswered prayer, those parts of your life, the kind of parts that have left their mark on you, follow you around wherever you go and have even come to define you. And I'm not just talking about you and what you're going through and what you're bringing here. I'm talking about myself too because I also bring something into this moment too. I come as someone who struggles with believing that they're worthy of love. It's this feeling, a belief even at times, that I'm not worthy of love because the one person who promised to stay always and never leave left. And it left me feeling ashamed and like there was something that was wrong with me. And ever since then, I've had these messages uh, playing in my head telling me, Dave, you are not good enough. You'll never be good enough. There's something wrong with you. Otherwise, why would she have left? See, a big part of my life has been living under this shame and these lies. And here's the reality is that no matter what I do, I can't dig myself out. Believe me, I've tried. I've tried so hard, but I can't do it. That's my story. Now, what's your story? What do you bring in here with you? Maybe it's sickness or unanswered prayer or a broken identity. Maybe it's the trauma you've experienced or fractured relationships, the shame and the regret, regret that are laying down heavy on your spirits today. Maybe it's the pain you're dealing with or the loss of someone you love recently, a relationship ended. See, I don't know your story, but I'm guessing 
that as you come here today, there are things in your life that have died and have been buried because of what you experience. And you need something or someone to dig you out. So let me ask again, what is your story? What part of your life is buried and on life support because of what you've experienced? Or let me put it another way, what do you need Jesus to bring back to life today? Make no mistake, in the big parts of our lives, in the parts that came to mind as I asked those questions, you can't dig yourself out. If you could, you already would have done it, but you can't. And unless something or someone does something so powerful and so extraordinary to make it possible for that part of your life to change, then those things are gonna stay dead and buried and on life support. But the good news today is that they don't have to. They don't have to stay on life support. They don't have to stay buried. They can change. There is the possibility for something new to come in those places, for healing to happen. And that's why Easter, that's why today is such a great day and has something to say to each and every one of us and those parts of our lives that are on life support. And that's what I want to bring us to today. And so I want to go with you back to the very first Easter, and I want to look at a story of one woman's encounter with Jesus and how he brought what had died in her life back from the dead. And in that, what we're going to see is that Jesus can do the same thing for me and for you that he did for Mary. So turn with me to John chapter 20. It's one of the biographies of Jesus that you find in the New Testament. We pick up this story of an encounter in a garden outside an empty tomb in verse 11 of chapter 20 in John's gospel. It says this, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And so with these words, we find ourselves in the very first moments on the very first Easter. It's the start of a brand new day. Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated. A new reality has burst into the world and things will never be the same. But the people on the ground, they have no idea that any of that has happened. They have no idea what is really and truly going on. All they know, all Mary knows that she's outside this empty tomb is that the tomb where Jesus' dead body was laid on Friday is now empty. His body is missing. It's not where it's supposed to be. She came to the tomb expecting to find him, but he's not there. And of course, the only conclusion that she can come up with is that someone's taken his body. Maybe it was grave robbers. Maybe it was the religious leaders who had him killed. Whoever it was, someone must have opened up the tomb, rolled that stone away, and someone must have gone in there and taken Jesus' lifeless body. This is the only explanation that she can come up with. And as we'll see, it's not the only explanation, but for Mary, in this moment, that's all she has. And faced with an empty tomb, with the reality that she can't find her rabbi and friend's body, we find her weeping. She deeply grieves. She's weeping openly over the reality that she can't find her friend. This is a moment of deep sadness and loss for Mary, not just because the body of Jesus can't be found, but because she has just watched her teacher and her healer and her friend be betrayed, arrested, and condemned to death. She's just watched Jesus be whipped and beaten and made to carry his own cross to the hill that he is going to die on. And she was there, 
looking at the cross and hearing the nails driven into Jesus' wrists and feet, and then she saw him lifted up on that cross and slowly suffocate to death. She watched him hanging there, suffering. She watched the life slowly draining out of his body until he breathed his last breath. And then she saw him be put in a tomb, his lifeless body put in a tomb in that stone rolled in front of the tomb. And in that tomb, where he was supposed to be, it's now empty. And the weight of this unimaginable grief and this lost hope and the sadness just caves in on Mary in this moment and it's burying her underneath it. Because when Jesus died, everything that Mary had given her life to died as well. Her hope died. Jesus was the one that they all believed was going to rescue his people. They believed he was the promised Messiah, the one who would redeem Israel out from under the hands of Rome. Her healer had died. Jesus had rescued her. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But he had rescued her from a life of captivity and given her her life. And now he's no longer there. Her friend had died. Mary loved Jesus. And she had followed him after her first encounter with him. Her sense of self and her place in the world had died with Jesus. These are those moments that were seen with Mary that you never really want to experience. Those moments that we can all pinpoint and look back on and wish we could take a magic eraser and just erase it from the, the story of our lives. Those moments where it hurts so much we can't speak. Those moments where it's so dark that we think we'll never see the light again. Those moments where you curl up in a ball and all you can do is groan because it's so painful and so hard. The moments where you feel like nothing will ever change and that this is how it's always going to be. This is one of those moments for Mary. And if you've had moments like these, like I have, then you know how hard they can be. See, I've had moments where I've just felt the weight of shame crash in on me and I realize that as much as I want to dig myself out from under that, it's too much. I can't do it. And I've tried, believe me, I've tried, but I just cannot do it. And it makes me think of this line from a song I used to listen to a lot. It's from a band called Incubus. And in that song, it has this line that goes like this. We all have a sickness that cleverly attaches and multiplies. No matter how hard we try, we all have something that digs at us. And then the line that always gets me, dig me up from under what is covering the better part of me. See, that line describes my life. Doesn't it describe your life? that I need someone to dig me out from what is covering the better part of me, the part of me that is God says I am, the part of me that I want to be. Doesn't this describe your life in some way, just like it describes mine? I want to be dug out from what is burying me, and I just can't do it. And because we can't do it, it means that a power we don't possess has to do it for us. That the power is not in our hands, that we need a power that we don't possess to dig us out from under what is burying us. That you need a power that you don't possess to bring life where there is death in your story. And so do I. And by life, what I mean is the kind of life God created you to have, the kind of life Jesus came to give you, a life that is full and abundant, a life that's built on unconditional love and a peace you can't find anywhere else, the kind of life God offers us in Jesus. That's the kind of life I'm talking about. And we want that life. We search for that life. We hunger for that life. And for us to experience that life, a power we don't possess has to go to work in us. And we find that power in the one who has left the tomb behind. And Mary, she had followed 
this one, this Jesus. She knew him and she knew his power personally. But now in this moment, she's faced with the reality that he's not coming back, or so she thought. See, Mary can't see it right now, but that power that makes it possible for her grief to become joy, for what's on life support in her story to find life once again, it's present in the garden, even from the first moments of this text. See, there's a hint that already there is something that is at work and not everything is as it seems. And our hint is these angels, these supernatural beings that God has sent into this garden to do his work. See, notice these angels, they're in the tomb, they're in the garden, and their presence is proof that God's power has invaded this garden and invaded this tomb, and it is at work in a way that is about to be unveiled to Mary and to us. And next, Mary encounters that power. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And so in a moment, the world-shattering power of the empty tomb is explained. It's empty because Jesus is alive. He is not dead. He's alive, and he's never going to die again. The empty tomb was not the work of grave robbers or religious leaders. The empty tomb was the work of God. Yes, the grave was robbed, just not by any human. And we get the luxury of seeing this from John, the author's perspective, and we get the, the luxury of seeing this from 2,000 years of, of, of looking back. But Mary, she, in the moment, she doesn't recognize who Jesus is. She thinks he's the gardener. And this was something that was common for all of those who encountered the risen Jesus in this stretch of time, the 40 days before he leaves to go back to be with the Father. See, Jesus' body was the same, but it was also somehow different. He had a physical body just like ours. It was the same body that he always had, but on this side of the grave, his body was transformed. It was different. It was his body, but it was a new body, incorruptible, a body fit for eternity. No one had ever had a body like this. Jesus is the first fruits, the Bible says, of this new kind of life. And so Mary, she looks at Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. She sees the person before, but she doesn't see who he truly is. It's hidden from her somehow. She just can't see that it's Jesus. And maybe today you're here and you're a lot like Mary. You just can't see the risen Jesus. You can't see how it's possible that someone could come back from the life. You're thinking nobody comes back from the life. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. And what you're being confronted with here is the reality that at its core, Christianity is miraculous. It's founded and it hinges upon a miracle called the resurrection of someone named Jesus coming back to life after being dead for three days on a day in history. Christianity requires you to believe that on a day in history this happened and that Jesus is alive with a physical body to never to die again. And for the post-Christian, secular and scientific minded, this does not fit into how you see the world. And so the reality of a risen Jesus here is challenging. This miracle of the resurrection is challenging. And you know what, I get it, it makes sense. It bends our understanding. It's beyond what we can imagine. It's so rich and mysterious. But whatever you believe about this, 
here's what you need to know and here's what I bring to you is that you can't escape the fact that something happened to the crucified Jesus that was so powerful and so out of the ordinary that his followers were never the same. Go and look at the Bible stories of, uh, from this moment on. They were radically changed and their efforts to spread the good news of what happened to Jesus despite suffering, despite even death, well, it's left a deep and lasting impact on our world. And so we can't ignore that something happened. And so wherever you are today, we're gonna have to wrestle with this. It's gonna take investigation. Ultimately, it's gonna take faith to believe that Jesus did die and come back to life. Or to put it another way, it's gonna take Jesus opening our eyes to see, which is what he has to do with Mary in this story. And that's what begins to unfold. And I love Jesus here because he meets Mary right where he's at and he says, woman. And this is not a derogatory term. It's not a, a, a rude um, word. It's actually, a, in this culture, a sign of respect. It's a sign of kindness. And so it's like Jesus is saying to Mary, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? It's Jesus entering into her confusion. It's Jesus entering into her pain. This God named Jesus is comfortable with your pain and your confusion, and he's willing to join us in that and walk us out to the other side, which is what he's doing for Mary. And Mary needs that. She needs Jesus to lead her out of the place that she's in and help her to see what she can't see on her own. In other words, Mary needs to be awakened to the reality of Jesus, and we do too. One scholar describes the experience of being awakened as an encounter with the living God. It's coming to see something of God, who he is and what he's like. It could happen in a moment or it could happen over time. It could be in the middle of our everyday lives or in some extraordinary experience. But at its core, being awakened to the reality of the risen Jesus comes through an encounter with him. And through that encounter, our eyes get open to the reality of who God is. Put this together and here's what it means. Jesus has to open our eyes to the reality of who he is. And that's what he does for Mary next in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And so in an instance, Mary's eyes are opened and she sees the reality of Jesus. He's not the gar gardener, he's the risen king. And in that moment, what has died in her life comes back to life. Grief and despair are lifted and hope and joy fill its place. What has died in Mary has been brought back to life. What has been buried, she has been dug out of. Why? Because Jesus opened her eyes to see. How? By calling her by name. And this is so beautiful and so significant. It's one word, but with great power. Mary. See, a name is a marker of identity. It's a marker of who you are. And when someone calls you by name, it's a sign that they see you and that they know you. And so there's something very meaningful and very personal going on here. Jesus calls Mary by name, telling her in one word, I see you, I know you. And that's what opens her eyes. 
He is personally inviting Mary to come to him, to see him for who he is. It's Jesus calling Mary out of the place that she's in to a new place. And there's this tenderness that we see in Jesus here is that Jesus calls you by name. He calls us by our names. He knows you, he loves you, and he wants you. He's calling out to you today, just like he called out to Mary. And when you hear that beautiful voice of Jesus, you run. You run to him, just like Mary does. Because there's no sound like the sound of Jesus saying your name, saying, I see you, I want you. And that's what Mary does. She hears her name and she runs to Jesus. And there's this pure joy of she's clinging to him. But then Jesus does this really weird thing and he says, don't cling to me. Yeah, I'm here. I'm alive. It's me. I'm back from the dead, but go tell my brothers, go tell my followers and closest friends that I'm alive. Bring this news to them. This news is too good to keep into the garden. It has to go out to others. It has to go out to the world. And so miraculously, Jesus sends Mary with the news that he's alive. She's both the first person in history to encounter the risen Jesus, and she's the first person to carry the news that he is not dead, but he is alive. Jesus chooses Mary for this, not some man, not someone with power. It's not one of his closest followers called the disciples. He chooses a woman who in this culture, their testimony was not even allowed in court. It wasn't trusted. But Jesus turns the world upside down as he always does and he sends Mary with the greatest news that this world has ever heard, that Jesus is alive. And Mary is the first person to encounter that and carry that message. And you have to ask, this has been a shift for Mary from grief to joy. What was the difference? What shifted her experience? It was her encounter with the risen Jesus. Now the world-shattering dimension of the empty tomb makes sense. The tomb is empty and Jesus' body's not there because he's alive. He's come back to life. Now Mary can see. Now she understands. And for you and for me today, this is what it means, is that one encounter with Jesus is what it takes for all the pieces to fall into place and for us to be lifted out of what it is that is burying us and is on life support. Because when it comes to seeing Jesus for who he really is, what we need above all is something beyond us and outside us to help us see. What we need above all is for Jesus to open our eyes through an encounter with him. Because when he does that, we see someone of surpassing worth, a savior and redeemer unlike any other who has laid his life down so that your life and my life could be raised up. Well, raised up to what? A hope beyond the grave? See, however hard the past days have been, however hard the days are for you right now, Easter is a declaration that a new day has come. This is just not another day on the calendar. No, the resurrection of Jesus is the start of something new. It's the launching of a new day, a new world, a new creation within this present world. God's power is now at work in a new way, radiating out from the empty tomb and the one who left the tomb behind. That means that Easter is a moment of new creation. It's a moment of new beginnings and new possibilities for you and for me, for the world. See, all those things that have died and been buried in your life, they now have a chance to be resurrected, both in the future and in the present. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated. It didn't defeat him. Jesus defeated death. And sure, sure, death still happens in this life. We all have stories about that and people who we love who have died and who aren't here anymore. 
Death is a very real thing and it has a sting that hasn't been fully removed, but because of Jesus, death is now a defeated enemy. The clock is running out on its existence because one day God is going to put death to death forever. At the end, when God moves to put all things right on that great day, what is it that we're gonna experience? Well, the last book of the Bible called Revelation, it unveils this to us and it tells us that beautifully, miraculously, heaven and earth are going to unite and we will live in a completely redeemed and transformed world, a new heavens and a new earth. God himself is going to be there. We're gonna see him face to face in a way we've never seen him before. We won't even need a sun because the light of God is gonna be so bright, it's gonna light up everything. And then listen to this in Revelation 21, verse four. He, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, a day is coming when death will die and it will be no more. God is going to act once and for all and the dead, they're not gonna stay dead. They're gonna come back to life in a new body and we're gonna enjoy Jesus in eternity forever. This is the hope we have because of Jesus. It's unshakable, it's certain, and it's going to come to pass when Jesus comes back. That's the hope that we have beyond the grave. But you might be asking, well, what about today? What about the stuff I'm going through and the stuff I'm carrying and buried under right now? Well, again, that's where Mary's story, story can help us because one day Mary died and one day she's going to experience all that we've just unpacked alongside you and me. Death came for her just like it comes for all of us, and yet she experienced the power of the resurrection while she lived. See, Mary's exodus happened long before this moment at the empty tomb. And we read about that in one of the biographies of Jesus called Luke. In Luke chapter 8, it says, Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve, those are his disciples, were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And so before Jesus, Mary was imprisoned by seven evil spirits, seven evil supernatural beings who are vehemently opposed to God, had invaded Mary's life and kept her in a state of physical and emotional and psychological pain, and they were not letting her go. Mary was a prisoner in her own body. She was being kept from having the life that God created her to have by these evil spirits. She was a captive and she had no way out. This was her life. This was her story. She couldn't save herself. She couldn't dig herself out. It took Jesus and an encounter with him for that to happen. Luke tells us that Jesus had to cast these evil spirits out of Mary. He had to release their grip on her life. He had to lead her out of her own personal Egypt into a new life with him. This was Mary's exodus. And when Jesus is involved in your life, it can be your exodus too. It might not be evil spirits, but it might be something else. And the good news is that Jesus said, this is why I came. Again, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is teaching and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus came to release captives. 
Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to give sight to the blind, to set free those who are weighed down by life, to bring good news to the poor in spirit that there is hope for you and for me and for those parts of our lives that we've ever, we give up, we've given up on ever seeing any change. This God, this Jesus, he can do for you what he did for Mary. He can take the broken parts of your life and begin to put them back together. He can dig you out from under what's burying you. He can heal the wounds that you carry. He can lift you out of despair and darkness into hope and peace. He can plant a love in your life that you cannot lose and you do not have to perform to keep. He can make it possible for you to know God the Father in the same way that Jesus has known the Father for all of eternity. He can bring you from death to life by his power and give you a hope and a future both in the present and in the day when he returns. He can do all that today. Right here, right now, he can do it. And my question is, do you believe it? Today you can have hope beyond the grave. Today you can experience the power of resurrection life. Do you believe it? All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. All you have to do is put your life in his hands for the very first time or once again, and you can experience the power of the resurrection for yourself today. He is here right now. He is calling you by name and he is inviting you into this relationship with him. He's doing that because he sees you and he loves you and he wants to give you a full and abundant life. And that's honestly why God sent Jesus. At the end of the day, why did Jesus come? Because he loves you. The most famous verse that may be in the Bible, John 3, 16, you've heard it before, maybe. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did what he did in Jesus because he loves you. He's not out to condemn you or punish you. He loves you and he wants to give you life to the full, a life with him. And for people who have had things in our lives die or things in our life that are on life support, because of what we experienced, this is good news. For too long, too many of you have lived in that place without hope that change is ever going to come. But I'm here to tell you today that it can change because today is a new day. Jesus is alive. He has conquered sin and death. God has done something in Jesus and Jesus is calling each of us by name to enter into that once again over the very first time. And if this is true, if the resurrection happened, and God has launched his new world within this world now, and you are being invited into it by faith, then you are being invited to one of two things today. One, to rethink how you think about everything. So you might be here today and you may have questions, you may have doubts, you may be opposed to everything that I just said, but if God actually did this, what if he did this? What if you took a chance to start investigating it, exploring it, following the threads and seeing just if this is true, if God actually did this and you are being invited into it by faith, then the first thing is maybe we need to rethink how we think about everything. Maybe that's you today or maybe you're the second person. Maybe today you need to take a step of faith. See, at the end of the day, God has done what he's done and it requires response. See. God has done something new in Jesus that makes all things possible. And if you let him, and if you put yourself in a position for him to do it, he will breathe life into what's dead. He will dig you out from under what's covering the best part of you. 
See, Jesus is offering you this. He's offering you a relationship, not religion. And that's all I really have to offer you today is not some formula for change or seven steps to healing. What I have to offer you is Jesus, the one with the power to bring life where there is death. And maybe today you need to take a step towards him. And so I ask those same two questions that I asked at the beginning. What part of your life is buried and on life support? What do you need Jesus to bring life to today? Bring your answer to Jesus, lay it before him, take a step of faith and he will begin to do what he did for Mary in your life. He will take those broken parts of your life and put them back together. It won't be easy, it's gonna be hard, but it will be good because our risen King Jesus is good. He's really, really good. Do you believe that today? Then take a step of faith toward Jesus, the one who is alive and who has the power to change everything for you, for me, and for the world.